Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. Hey everybody, it's Dr. David Awardy coming at you with my partner in crime, Dr. Nicholas Jensen. Dr. Nick. Always a pleasure, my man. It's just every week, uh, well, every other week, I get to see your beautiful face, and it just makes makes the day go so much better. So, uh, Ditto, it's always buddy. good to be here with you. Yeah, man. How's the fam bam? Everybody good? I mean, you. Know, so you guys start school earlier than us, right? So we're we're just getting our our sort of wheels turning with with. Are you guys just started up? Well, like two weeks ago. Oh, and you so, start way after us, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're adjusting to the schedule of school and everything, which has been a bit of a gong show because everybody's been sick in that first week, just getting back uh, in routine. Uh, yeah, I know. That <laughs> but goes. it's good now. We've got we've kind of got a groove again. And um, actually, on that note, we created a little accountability board for the boys so they can keep track of their, their they love soccer. So they keep track of how much time they're spending juggling, how much time they're doing ball control, how much technology yes. time that they're spending. And and their BBCs, which is uh, brush their hair, brush their teeth, make their bed, and then put their clothes away or put them on. And so they're tracking all this stuff now, nice. which is amazing. And they get to look at the end of the week and go like, oh, shit, I spent way too much time on TV. Uh, I need to dial it back. Um, so this, it's become a self-regulating um, tool, which is, yeah, yeah. which is cool. So we'll see how it turns out. That's, that's Jensen House. How's, how's the Wardy House? Wordy House is good, man. We're, we started a little before you, but we're in that rhythm in the fall. The fall gets busy, as I was telling Noha earlier. And then, uh, yeah, man, he's doing, he's doing really well. Um, a big reason he's doing so well is because of this beautiful woman we're about to talk mm-hmm. to. But let's, yeah, let's get in that. Speaking of the mouth, because they have to mark when they brush their teeth, right? I have to do the <laughs> exactly. same thing with my child. So we have, a, we have a returning guest today. I'm very excited to talk to her again. I know you are as well, Nick. Um, we didn't have enough time last time. I wish I could just hang out with her all weekend and pick her brain. But we have a returning guest today, Dr. Noha Oshi. Um, if you guys didn't catch her first episode, it was episode number 112. And we talked about biological dentistry. So for those of you who don't know what that is, we'll review that quickly with Dr. Oshi. And then we're going to dive into airways today. Uh, very important topic because... Uh, my little boy had some issues with this, uh, with his mouth, and we're going to dive into his case with Dr. Oshi today. Um, but I'm super excited because there's so much information here, and it helps so many people. And I didn't even know to look for it till I met this woman. And so without further ado, our returning guest, Dr. Noha Oshi. Dr. Wardy, Dr. Jensen, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And, you know, last podcast was awesome, so... I was so excited when you guys asked me to, you know, do a part two. So very, very glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being with us. So for our listeners, you need to know how important this woman is. Okay. So know how real quick, let's just give the audience a real quick, just again, what do you do? What is biological dentistry and what's the magic in what you're doing every day? Well, biological dentistry is not like a separate branch of dentistry it, it's it's general dentistry but just we zoom out of just focused on a tooth we look at the bigger picture you know why things are breaking no don't just fix it just step out and and look at why things are breaking why are the gums bleeding so bad is it because the patient's not brushing is it a systemic problem that they need to follow up with their primary care doctor so it's just looking at the whole person what is in the mouth that's telling me there's systemic issue that you know the patient needs to address with their primary care and vice versa making that connection um you know i could look in the mouth look at the tongue could kind of look at and find a lot of symptoms that could tell me hey you know you need to go see so and so you need to be evaluated for other systemic problems that are there so it's it's not a separate branch of dentistry. It's just looking at the whole person and trying to see signs and symptoms in the mouth that could tell us that this patient has um, a separate issue that's going on that 
he needs his doctor to. So it's more of integrative, I would call it, because biological dentists need to work with other healthcare providers for the well-being of their patients. So that's kind of how I how I, I look at it. And okay. everyone should. So I would say holistic. Would you say holistic? Yeah, you could say holistic. You could say, you know, holistic kind of gets a bad reputation sometimes. So we kind of try to stay away from it. It's not like voodoo dentistry. There's no magic wand to fix things. Um, but we do look at the broader picture. We help patients put two and two together. You know, why is all this going on? Not just fix it, you know, get to the root cause. We get to the root cause of things and help the patients um, collaborate and see other providers so that we can ultimately, our goal is to get our patient better. Yeah, that, that's a completely different experience than probably what most people know when they go see their dentist. They think, I think, I don't even me growing up, I would have thought it's a technician and someone who's going to look at the, the mouth, going to solve, you know, the, the acute or the chronic problems and then off you go and brush your teeth, floss, end of discussion you know, as a kid is like, go get, go get your toy at the end of the, the cleaning. And so I don't think people really understand that they can actually go into a much deeper dialogue and, and there's, it's more collaborative, it's more investigative, it's more looking for root cause. I think, you know, when people are trying to find their a healthcare provider in these different, you know, realms of, of, of healthcare, these are some of the questions that they should be asking is like, how involved is my doctor going to be in my overall care and not just be a technician? I yeah. agree with you hundred percent. We see so many patients that come in and they're taking so many medications that their neurologist prescribed, their primary care doctor prescribed, their endocrinologist prescribed. There's a lot of interactions between all these medications. You know, I don't think they all talk to each other to, to, to coordinate those medications and then patients are suffering from a lot of, you know, side effects and such. Um, that's, you know, that we, we spend a lot of time, our, our exams are very extensive. Like even our patients, after we're done with everything, they tell us, and this is, we hear it from almost every patient, no one has ever told me all of this information. So, I mean, I think it's a great thing, but it's also a very scary thing. Like you should, you should be able to ask questions to your health care provider. It shouldn't be you know, with the medical assistant or whatnot, and then you get like five minutes with a doctor. I don't think that's enough to get the full history. Hear the patient's concerns because the patient is the best teacher. The patient will tell you so many things and will teach you so many things. You just need to listen. Um, and, and, you know, with the fast pace and how things are going in our healthcare system, it's very hard to do that. But you know, being a biological dentist or someone who is integrative dentistry, you have to listen to the full story. There's no way to get to the root cause by just going in and out. You have to, you're like a detective. You're, 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 you know, looking at the cues, you're listening to your patient as they talk, you're, you're watching things, you're looking out for things. We take a lot of photos, we take 3D scans to look at everything. We have radiologists read it so that in case we miss something, it's, it's a very detailed process. And then this patient is just so well informed because we sit and explain everything to them in, in detail that they've never had before. So they, I feel like they're just so empowered. You have all this information, whether you choose to do anything about it or not, you know, that's a different story, but you have knowledge now, you know, so that, that's my goal for my patients. I, I feel like they need to understand everything going on. They need to have that knowledge so they can make an informed decision. So refreshing. <laughs> yeah, it is, right? Yeah. So, Noha, for our listeners, tell them real quick, how important is the connection between your mouth and your body? It's extremely important. It's, I'm telling you, we looking in the mouth, looking at the tongue, we can get information about the patient's gut. You know, what's going on with your gut? And every patient I see that has, like, a lot of fissure in their tongue, a lot of other issues that I see, a geographic tongue, and I ask them, do you have gut problems? Every single one tells me. So it's like, I see a story, and once I start asking questions, boom, right there, I find what I see from the patients telling me, you know, yes, I'm not a medical doctor where I'm going to go and fix your gut problem, but I can help guide them and connect them with that provider who can help take care of that part. 
because their mouth is not going to get healthy unless their system is healthy and vice versa. Taking care of a lot of oral conditions, you're reducing that burden on the body so the body can function the right way. We were created to function correctly. We just need to help the body get there. So removing those burdens on the body, helping get rid of toxins, then we can help the body do its thing, which it's, it's incredibly good at doing. Um, so that's kind of how, you know, we, we, we look at things and how important the oral cavity is. It tells me a story. I look in the mouth and I see a full story and I look and I, you know, get the patient's history and I can, I can just see it. And then when I explain to the patient, every single one tells me, oh my God, this is the first time someone listens to me. Like this makes so much sense. It just blows my mind every time. We do it every day, but it's just amazing. It brings me so much joy that I actually, I can, I'm actually listening to a person and I can actually relate to what they're telling me and I can guide them on where to go next. So let's talk about this. We're removing interference, right? We're looking for this burden that can be causing problems. So let's just dive into airways because I know we're going to be talking about this for a while. Oxygen. You said detox, right? I mean, we need oxygen to detox. We need ox I mean, there's so many reasons we need oxygen and to be able to get good amounts of oxygen. But it's mm -hmm. funny, you know, when I, let me just back up for a second. So I came to, to Dr. Oshi with my little boy when he was, oh man, I think he was eight. Yeah, he, when he was eight. And when Diego was born, we noticed that his bite was off pretty significant. So he had a, a bit of a, it was an underbite, you'd call it, right, Doc? Yep. Yeah, and then his, what was it, the top part of his jaw was too narrow. Yep. So we had, there was definitely stuff we could see. And so I knew I needed to take him to somebody, and I knew it wasn't going to be just a general dentist or an orthodontist or something like that. I needed to go to somebody that looks at the mouth a very different way. And I didn't even know about NOHA until I had a patient that came in and just happened to drop her name. And then all of a sudden it was like the seas parted and I was like, oh my God, we have a biological dentist like right down the street from us. This is awesome. So I took Diego to see Dr. Oshi and it was amazing. Like she's talking right now. She did this huge evaluation of his mouth. She took pictures. She did a 3D, 3D cone beam CT, right? She, she goes in, she does measurements. She's looking at his tongue. I mean, she's looking at all kinds of stuff in his mouth that you typically wouldn't see a dentist look at. And then she was able to sit down with me and my wife and talk about what was going on with him. And then part of that process, she had me take questionnaires home. We had to kind of watch Diego. We had to like really kind of like zoom in the lens and really pay attention to how he was sleeping and his behavior and his energy and his focus. And I mean, all these things. And I'm thinking, wow, I like, why is she having me do all this stuff? Like, could this be all coming from his mouth? And so interestingly enough, when we started to like zoom that lens in a little bit, we figured out that like, yeah, he does have this problem. Like he does have a little bit of sleep apnea. And I did notice he stops breathing on and off sometimes when he's, when he's asleep. And then, you know, he tosses and turns a lot and he has days where he doesn't focus real well and he doesn't listen real well. And I mean, we started kind of seeing this picture that I guess wasn't as clear to us before. So the moment that she shared with us that his mouth could be contributing to all this because of his airway, it made sense to me. I was like, okay, that makes sense. He's not sleeping well. He's not getting oxygen to his brain. It's going to affect how his brain functions the next day. I mean, it kind of all started to come together. So we returned back to her. She gave us this amazing report of findings, talked about everything that needed to be corrected, what was going on with Diego. She recommended myofascial therapy. We did an expander. I'll let her get into more of that. But buddy, the moment we didn't even put in the expander, right? The moment we put in spacers to get ready for his expander, we already saw big changes like in his sleep and his cognition and his behavior and all these things. So the moment she just started to make mild changes in his mouth, it, it began. And then it just kind of continued from there. So Doc, I'll let you kind of just jump in on that and talk a little bit more about kind of what we did and what was going on there. But please yeah, share with everybody. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is what brings me joy. You know, I, I am a general dentist. I do a lot of general dentistry. But once I started helping kids with airways, that's when like, 
these are my happiest days when I see it before and after and how it really helped, you know, the kid and a lot of different things, even though I just worked in the mouth, I didn't go, you know, with the intention of fixing anything else. But that just shows me how important oxygen, just like you were saying, is. You know, we were created to breathe through our nose. Our nose is a very sophisticated system. If it, you know, it filters the air, it moistens the air, it warms the air, and we have all the cilia inside the nose to trap pathogens. Literally, it's a very sophisticated filtration system, humidifier, any everything, you name it. But once you bypass that and we turn into mouth breathers, you just change the whole biochemistry and physiology of the body. Um, and it all kind of started back in the in the in the about 1940s when we were exposed to uh, modern processed foods and a lot of things changed, you know, in 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 the, in the human and and the growth and development. We started seeing a lot of narrowing in the upper jaws and um, and changes. So that's a common thing that we see now. We aren't chewing. Like we like they used to chew back in the prehistoric in the Neolithic um, age. You know, the diet back then was more like a beef jerky consistency. The child was born and they were breastfed for like three to six years, and then they go straight into you know solid foods. There were no blenders, there were no um, processed foods. So a lot of chewing and all those forces helped develop the jaws. You never saw um, impacted third molars back in the day. Now we see it all the time. Crowding, we see it all the time. So that's kind of what we look for. Um, there's a pediatrician. Her name is um, Dr. Karen Bonnock. Back in 2012, she actually followed 11,000 kids. And um, she did research. And she, she came to three main conclusions, that there's a strong and persistent association between sleep disorder breathing and diminished IQ. Sleep disorder breathing increased the risk of ADHD by 50%. Sleep disorder breathing kids were 40 to 100% more likely to have neurobehavioral issues. Because again, we're turning into mouth breathers. We're bypassing that whole system. And then, you know, we're not getting enough oxygen in our sleep. And that's what happens. So I think we should screen every kid for it. Because if 50% of kids that have sleep disorder breathing um, are labeled as ADHD and they're put on medication without screening for it, I just think that's not fair. We need to give all these kids a chance instead of just putting them on medication. They should be screened for it. Well, and the crazy thing, Doc, is this isn't something people think of. Right? Like how many people are like, oh, we need to look in the mouth. Maybe it's the mouth is where there's a problem. I mean, I know doctors like psychiatrists, they wouldn't even think of this stuff right now. Right. They're just going to throw throw them on medication, like you're saying. And even me, like, you know, I, I was like on a journey of learning more about biological dentistry when I met you. And so I'd already been at least exposed to it a couple of years before I met you. But even me, I wouldn't have even thought until we talked about this about, oh, wow, this could be affecting Diego's listening and his focus and, you know, his cognition Absolutely. throughout the day. And it blew me away because the moment we started playing with his mouth, all those things started to improve when we started getting his airway better. And just for the listeners, I mean, Dr. Oshi had to do some stuff in the mouth and did an expander. She, we also did something I'm going to have her talk about called myofunctional therapy for his tongue, which we'll talk about the tongue. Um, but I mean, it's magic. And, and, and like you're saying, every parent, I think this is just something that they need to do for their children. They need to go get them assessed and at least just make sure that everything's good, that there's not any problems. Because if your child is having trouble in any of these capacities, like Doc's uh, sharing with us right now, the mouth is, if there is an issue in the mouth, the mouth and the airway is contributing to this. Because like we're saying, oxygen is so important. And if they're not sleeping well, you know, at sleep apnea at nighttime and stuff like that, they can't show up as that best version of themselves the next day. It's just not in the cards for them, right? Absolutely. So that's why we, we really look at the size of the upper jaw, the maxilla, in the lower jaw, and assess for any crowding. 
you know, we we can we look at anthropological research where this child at this age should be at what size. Um, our tongue is supposed to be sitting up in the roof of the mouth. That's home. That's a garage for our tongue. And our lips closed, nasal breathing. Once you bypass that system, whether the tongue is tethered or there's a lot of um, inflammatories in our diet causing a lot of mucus congestion, you know, nose going into that cycle that also leads to mouth breathing, you know, but bypassing that system, you don't have that tongue sitting up in the roof of the mouth to help expand the upper jaw with every swallow. So then we turn into mouth breathers and then tongue sits down low and that force of air, every time you take a breath, how many times do we take a breath a day? It leads to the jaws getting smaller, teeth kind of crowding. And the problem is back in the day when, when orthodontists would see that, okay, let's take teeth out and straighten what's going on. But we see it as general dentists when they're 60, 70, 80 years old and they have those teeth out, they still have crowding. So, you know, I asked I ask my patients, like, does it make sense to you? Like, you have crowding, you pull the teeth out, and now you have crowding again. Did anyone talk to you about where your tongue needs to sit? If your swallow was incorrect? No, the, everyone's answer is no. Because if we don't have our tongue sitting up and over the mouth, supporting that upper jaw, and we swallow incorrectly, putting pursing the lips and putting pressure on those upper teeth, Teeth, muscle is going to win hands down. So it's going to move the teeth, you know, wherever it needs to go. So you can have a beautifully aligned arch. Orthodontist just finished. Give the patient a retainer. You're good to go. Very few people wear the retainer after a year or two of orthodontic treatment and they relapse. I We see it as general dentists because they come follow up with us for their cleanings or whatnot. Most of my patients relapse. And I believe that once you get the arch where it needs to be, if you do not address the muscles, if you don't teach the patient that your tongue needs to sit up in that nice wide arch that's developed, patients are going to relapse. If we don't get the nose working and continuously working, I talk to my patients a lot about diet. Dairy, it's it, it causes increased mucus secretion. You know, that's why it's really, really crucial for them to work with a functional medicine doctor or a holistic nutritionist, do some allergy testing, um, figure out what's going on with their gut, what's causing inflammation to help support that side so that what we're doing in their mouth could be successful. So we talk a lot about diet. How can we reduce inflammation in your, in your nose? How can we get that nose working again? Because we're not going to succeed if we don't get the nose working. So that's why, you know, Dr. Uh, Wardy was talking about um, what we did for Diego, we assessed his mouth. We realized that he had an underbite. His upper jaw was underdeveloped. Um, you know, so there was a lot, of, there was a little bit of inflammation going on. So we worked on that. We assessed how, you know, all the symptoms that he was having. That's part of, you know, the questionnaire for our assessments. Um, and we'd like to follow up and see after our treatment, how much improvement do we get? And I, I that's my favorite part. Once we start expanding and making enough room for the tongue and then teaching them where the tongue needs to go and now they're they're nasal breathing they're fixing their swallow those kids come in and it looks like there's a growth spurt that happened like it'll be six months and it looks like a year or two past and i love it because they look they look so much healthier and again i didn't do anything in their in their body i'm just working in the mouth i'm, I'm helping you know a correct underdevelopment, if you would say, but it just shows me the power of proper breathing and oxygen. That's all, your body just needs oxygen and deep sleep and proper nutrition. And it's gonna function the way it was created to function. Um, and, I, and I love it because we see it a lot. Nick, go ahead, bud. Yeah, I was gonna say like, it's an interesting case because Diego was raised in a really healthy environment, you know, um, eating the right foods, doing all the right things. Like why in his case, did he have that narrowing of his upper arch? You know, like, is it just because like, like, did you guys do a lot of like processed sort of like those little gooey bags, David? Like, uh, what, what do you think you know, the, the contributing factors were? <laughs> you know, when his teeth started coming in, but almost right away when the teeth were coming out, we could see it. So I don't know if it was mm. like, cause we gave him a cheap bone when he was little. I mean, maybe doc can help us with that, but like 
he wasn't one of these kids that like sucked on chipones all the time or like was sucking on his fingers. I mean, we give him a chipone here and there. Uh, for people who don't know what that is, it's a pacifier. That's just the <laughs> El Paso slang, chipon. Um, That's so much cooler. I know everyone's like, what the hell is he talking about? No, I'm just <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we did uh, things like that. But like you're saying, I mean, he was bottle fed, right? Uh, and when we started introducing solid foods at six months, and he ate almost, almost everything, man. I mean, it's not like we were restricting him to certain things. So I don't know. Maybe Doc can answer that question. Like, why does this happen? From I, mean, I don't really think it's anything that you guys did. It, this started way in the early 1900s. It's, it's okay. a generation. You know, we we started looking back at anthropological research that our ancestors didn't have that problem, and and then ever since the early 1900s, we started seeing a lot of that. And then there's that genetic component, right, that carries on. Mm -hmm. Yes, environmental factors are huge. If you go in there with full force, you can really help somewhat guide and you don't necessarily have to have the same faith as, as you know, your your um, ancestors and whatnot. And I see it a lot in families. Like I'll, I'll talk to a physician and whatnot and I tell him, hey, your son has, I see a lot of signs of underdevelopment. They're like, well, I'm like that and my dad's like that. So it's mm. a genetic thing. Well, and Clarissa, we talked, right? Clarissa had some stuff when she was growing up. So to speak on the genetic piece, Clarissa had... Uh, What'd she tell you, Doc? She had to do, she didn't headgear. do an, ex yeah. she did an expander, headgear. right? Yep. And then the, what's the headgear thing where they crank that too? So Clarissa yeah. had some jaw issues and they tried to do it like some old school way. And they were like forcing her jaw to open up. And like, when I met her buddy, she had horrible headaches when we married, when we got married. Like it had been a part of her life since she was a kid. Um, and we think it has a lot to do with what they did with her mouth where they were kind of forcing some things. But yeah, I mean, Clarissa, when we saw his underbite, I remember she just gave me this look and when he was an infant and she's like, I'm sorry, that's all me. Cause like she had the same problems growing up. Right. And then I, I just laughed, but, but that, yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. Right. The whole genetic. Yeah, and, and unfortunately a lot of the orthodontics that's done is retractive orthodontics, everything just, they want to get that bite. They kind of so zoom in and focus on the bite and not really understand or, or look at what's going on with the TMJ. What's going on with the muscles? Are the muscles happy at this bite? Is everything comfortable? The whole system has to work in harmony. So the retractive orthodontics and everything's just kind of pulled back to be nice and tight, but unfortunately it retrudes. Sometimes it retrudes the mandible and sometimes, you know, the tongue kind of um, gets moved a little bit back. There's a lot of controversy on this topic. But I see it in a lot of my patients that come back after they're done with their braces. I'm not saying it's everybody, but I would say about 75 to 80% of these patients, they, they tell me their jaw started clicking and popping after they came out of ortho. Um, they have headaches or whatnot. Yes, their bite is everything's, you know, lined up really nice and tight. But I think the mandible is a little trapped. There has to be a little, a little bit of freedom um and every every person's different we assess every individual you know we look at their skin we look at their jaw joint we look at the asymmetry that's going on but if we don't respect the cranium the cranial bones the muscles there's nothing even the teeth look beautiful the whole system is just gonna tighten up and you go and unwind it the patients see a chiropractor they see a physical therapist and they do good for a little bit and once their teeth come together again the system locks up so that's just how important it shows us how important the bite is to the whole alignment you know now I'm, I'm we're diving kind of into craniosacral therapy osteopathy and we see it when the patient's locked up just they start having symptoms and their neck hurts and you know their back hurts and a lot of things start coming up and you know, they see a lot of specialists and they're put on a lot of medication and some of them don't even get better with these medications. But that's when you got to stop and you step back and look at what is going on as a whole. You know, we need to stop treating one thing at a time. That just blows my mind. Like, unfortunately, specialists and subspecialists, they get zoomed into like, I'm just working on this. You have this and you need this. 
I feel like everybody needs to take a step back, collaborate together, and look at this human that has bone, muscle, fascia, everything that has to work in harmony. And if it's not in harmony, this patient's not going to get better. When I love that you said different systems, right? Having to work in harmony with each other. I mean, that's how me and Nick look at the body when we work on our patients every day. You're just looking at the mouth the same way, which is... In all honesty, I think how every dentist needs to be looking at the mouth. They need to be looking at it as a system of systems and not I'm, just I'm looking at one layer, that. right? Yeah. that's Because many GPs, it's just one layer. They're just looking at, like, the beauty part of your teeth or do I need to pull a tooth and do this? I mean, they don't go beyond that and see, like, well, how is that affecting? Or, like, you think of the tongue. How many of them look at that? And you look at the airway. How many of them look at that? And you look at the cranium. How many? I mean, you're talking about all these layers that other doctors do not look at, okay? So it's hard to go to a doc that this is going to be able to assess all those things for you. And then like you're saying, like, okay, you're going to handle whatever you can handle as part of the solutions, but then to work with other practitioners to help you with the other layers that you're able to assess. You know, for me, it's been a godsend to find you because when I have an, a patient come in and I see sleep apnea on their paperwork or I see certain things going on with them, I already know to bring you up to talk about you to say, hey, you need to go see Dr. Oshi. You need to get your mouth looked at. And I tell them what you do. I tell them what you're going to do. And I tell them why it's important. And I say, look, don't get overwhelmed because she's going to look at a lot of stuff. I was like, so when you go in for your report of findings, don't freak out. I was like, that's her job. She's looking at everything and she's going to give you an assessment. And then she's going to tell you, hey, this is solutions and here's priority or here's what we maybe need to work on. And then you got to go from there. But I think it's just so awesome that you're able to see all those things and then you're able to know like, hey, this is affecting this layer. And if we don't address this, this is not going to get better over here. And you're able to help them give that whole picture. So back to holistic, not integrative, you give a holistic picture. And yes, you integrate with other practitioners, but you give a holistic picture of the mouth and, and I think that's the wow factor for a lot of people that come you know, into Dr. Wardy, The reason I kind of like got into this is again, dental school, we graduate and we, we are taught the basics. We're taught the basics of what we need to do to, you know, just bread and butter, basic dentistry. And, and I myself, like I always question things and I'm, I'm that kind of person. So I got into the real world and I started working and they taught you to do this thing and I did it. And it, I thought it was great and then something broke and I'm like I, I this doesn't make sense to me because that's how I was taught to do it how come it didn't break in so and so but it broke with so and so and I just had all these questions that I couldn't find an answer for so I just kept digging and looking and digging and looking and just until I had my own daughter who um, was getting headaches and really bad headaches when she was seven and and we went to a neurologist and um, we did an MRI, nothing's going on with her brain. And then I, because I'm always looking and I stumbled upon groups of other biological dentists and, you know, talking about airway and the importance of oxygen and oxygenation of the brain and all your organs, just, you know. So I, I saw all the signs and symptoms that now I have in that questionnaire that we did for Diego she you know every single point she had so i you know started working on my daughter and helping her and i we did the myofunctional therapy i did expansion for her we made more room for her tongue we she had a tongue tie that needed to be released with a laser so we did that now my daughter doesn't get headaches she had issues with aggression and behavior you know that neuro heart and all that resolved and that was my wake-up call. Once I was able to help my daughter and all the other doctors couldn't really help her, that was, to me, it was like, how could people not look, just scream for it? Even if you're not going to do anything about it, you know, this patient deserved to be screened. If if they did research and found at least 50% of those kids that have any neuro, um, any neurodevelopment issue um, could be sleep disorder breathing why not screen for it I so that's totally how agree. i went into that that rabbit hole of i need and i need to be able to give my patients deserve better they need to know what's going on we need to give them the full picture 
you know, when things don't work right and, you know, something gets locked on this side, why are they having just pain on the right side? And now you look at asymmetries, you take pictures of them and look at them, you find one eye higher than the other, one ear higher than the other, the mandible shifted this way, you look at their 3D scan, you, you find one side of the jaw, like two, three millimeters shorter than the other side. How can I help this patient unwind? How can I help them have symmetry, harmony and symmetry in their system? Because you guys know this, the body wants to function, right? It wants to go into harmony, but sometimes with everything in the modern life, it just goes the other direction. So we need to identify those issues and help the patient reach harmony so that they can thrive. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, I mean, there's so many questions I have for you. One is, is like we mentioned kids. Obviously, there's adults out there with with crowded mouth and, you know, uh, improperly developed arches. Like, so that's one question is how do we address the adults? And then uh, specifically, maybe maybe more detail. Can we explain like more specifically what's happening, like a graduated expander, what whatever we're doing? Uh, or you're doing, I should say, um, to help open up uh, the airways more specifically. Uh, yeah, I'd love some details on, on those things. And then you also threw in tongue tie, and that's like that's a big one too. So um, all those things uh, go. All right. So which one do you want to start with? <laughs> uh, well, let's just uh, maybe just start. Like, can can we do this on adults? And then yeah. And so then so I'm gonna tell there. you kind of with the kids once because kids are still growing, you know, we like to assess them as early as possible because things are so much easier when they're younger, their development hasn't, you know, reached its max yet. So we, we try to assess and start as young as possible. And once we get them to where, you know, they have enough room for their tongue, we got them to the therapy where now we taught the tongue that it needs to sit up and over the mouth. We toned the tongue. We taught them how to swallow properly and nasal breathe. Great. Now I know the chance of them relapsing has been reduced significantly because we taught the muscles, we, we, we reprogrammed the dysfunction that's going on. We taught them that the nasal breathing is what's going to happen 24 seven. So that's how I know the kids are going to do good because we reprogrammed the muscle. We got their nose working. They're doing their nasal hygiene. They're doing their rinses. We have worked on the diet. It's all good. We do give them like a guidance growth appliance that they only wear at night just to kind of keep things in the right path. And, and, and if everything is going good and they have it all down, they should be good. Now, um, adults, it's a little bit of a different story. Um, it's much harder with adults, but when I have an adult patient, I have to do that full assessment, take the 3D scan. We do a sleep study for our patients. We take a lot of photos and, and I listen to my patients. I do things a little bit differently because, you know, by the book, you could say, oh, this person needs jaw surgery to fix the problem. They're so narrow. There's no room. You know, I, I look at how narrow their airway is. I look at their sleep study. How bad is it? And yes, some people need surgery. That's just the only way they're going to get better. But I think every human has the right to make a decision. So I, I sit with my patients, we have an hour long Zoom call, and I tell them, okay, your sleep study told me you have severe sleep apnea, and your 3D scan showed me that your airway is really, really tiny, your nasal cavity is really small. You know, we, we're probably going to need to talk about a more um, aggressive approach, which could, could be surgery, but if that is going to save my patient's life, we have to consider it. Um, versus someone else who has a little bit of crowding, they don't have sleep apnea, they have a something called an upper airway resistance, they have a tongue tie that's going on. Um, on the scan, their airway has a big measurement, then I know with some conservative treatments, which could be some align clear aligners or, or some braces or an, a light wire appliance, and some therapy, maybe release a tongue tie, nasal hygiene, all those little conservative things can really go a long way for this patient because they're not that bad. But again, I, I never make a decision for my patient. I believe that they need to be informed of all their options. So I give them all the options, you know, and then I explain the risks and benefits of everything. 
because everything does have a risk and benefit, you know, um, and complications that could arise from either or. And I let my patients choose because not everybody wants surgery. Um, some people want to get 50, 60% improvement, not necessarily 100%. 50, 60% could mean a lot for someone that has a mild problem, could really mean a lot. Um, versus someone that's really, really severe, this might be a drop in the bucket. So that's why for adults, it's a little bit different. I look at how old are they, how much they want to do. If I have an older patient, I know she's not going to want to do jaw surgery. She's going to tell, and, and she, they tell me a lot. They're like, honey, I've done this much in my life, and I don't feel like I, I've, I've done so well so far. You know, I don't feel like I need to do surgery at this point in my life. And, and I respect that because, again, it's all about informed um, consent for me. My job is to inform my patients of everything that's going on. And I need to present them with all their options. And I need to respect their decision and support them in whatever way they need. Um, so that's the thing with, with, you know, that's how we approach adults. Now, the tongue tie. Um, Tongue ties, you know, it's it's um it's a very important tongue and having a tie could really, really affect a lot of things in our body. It can constrict fascia. It can contribute to neck pain, back pain, sleeping problems. There's a lot, a lot of literature out there on tongue ties and how they can affect sleep, breathing, um, posture, and Again, we, we don't just go and release everyone's tongue tie. We assess and see how much is this affecting. And I have an amazing myofunctional therapist that, you know, sees my patients. So she does her own full evaluation and we start some therapy and, and we see how things are going. Um, sometimes those patients, once they start therapy, the range of motion of their tongue improves. A lot of things improve that they might not need a release. And others, no, we see it that it's kind of contributing, that they're compensating, they're having a hard time doing certain exercises. So me and my and my therapist, we sit together and we kind of decide, okay, we think this patient will benefit from a tongue tie release, um, but they need to do a lot of therapy before and after. You know, you guys know, kind of like if you're getting some kind of shoulder surgery, you can't just do the surgery and go by your way. You need to do a lot of physical therapy pre and post um, to get the best results. So it's not actually the release that's going to get the result. It's the therapy pre and post and the body work um, that's really going to make it or break it. So I mean, we get a lot of patients that tell us, oh, can you, you just I have a tongue tie? Can you just release a tongue tie? But I feel like I'm doing them a disservice if I just go and do that, if I don't educate them. You know, I, I need you to understand that it's not just about releasing it. There's a lot more involved. If this patient has severe sleep apnea and I didn't assess for it, and they don't have room in their tongue for their mouth because they have very little tongue space, I might make their apnea worse. So I kind of explain it to them like I, I'm all for your your health and your well-being, but I don't want to do any harm. Do no harm first. So we got to assess and make sure this is a, a good decision or something that's actually going to benefit you. And that's what the full evaluation um, the therapist full evaluation, do a little bit of therapy and see, and the patients that actually do it the, this way that we're talking about, they're the ones that see the most benefit. Um, a lot of patients during the release, because of the connection of the fascia from the tongue all the way to the toes, I've had patients tell me when they get off the chair, they're like, I feel taller. I I feel like I'm, I'm much taller. So um, other patients tell me, oh, my neck feels better. I feel the weight lifted. So we see those things. It doesn't happen on every single patient, but the ones that are assessed correctly, you know, we looked at the cranial strains that are going on. Does this patient need to see Dr. Wardy? Does this patient need to see an osteopath? Do we need to support the body in any other way before, before and after the procedure? That's what really makes it for the patient and they see the most benefit of the procedure versus just the ones that just here, we're going to release your tongue. Here's a paper exercise. You do that at home. That's not the correct way of doing it because we see them, they come back and they reattach worse than before. And maybe they got improvement for, you know, a few weeks or a few months and then they, they kind of go back. So that's what we we don't want for our patients because again, everything I tell my patients because I really care and it's for their well-being on the long term. It's not just the short term kind of do it and, and move on. And I can validate that. 
I can validate that. So with Diego, for our listeners, Doc was huge on the myofascial therapy because of his tongue, right? Because of the crowding he had on top. And Diego wasn't able to rest his tongue on the roof of his mouth, which was also affecting his airway. And so we did the myofunctional therapy uh, before the expander. And we already saw amazing results with that. And I was really blown away with that and the type of exercise he had to do and you know, how weak some of those muscles actually were because he doesn't use them. But I mean, immediately, honestly, within the first 30 days of him starting that, you could see changes in his, he was keeping his mouth closed. He was breathing better, you know, things like that. Um, and then even we talked about this, but between that and the expander, his face changed, right? His posture changed, you know, he had a little bit of forward head translation. His head came back over his shoulders, uh, he's breathing way better for sure, right? I mean, all these big changes, and it just goes to show you how structure affects function, right? And, like, you're looking at all these layers, like Noha saying, and it's just really neat to see she does care. I will tell everybody that. She's not just saying that. She does. And she will get on to you. She tells you, hey, this is the most important part. I'm going to do this, but you've got to follow follow up with the rehab. you got to do these other things because that's the magic piece of it. And it's no different from, like, what I do. Like, I... You know, we have patients that go into surgeries for hips or knees or shoulders. And I tell every single one of my patients, the surgery is not the fix. The rehab is. You need to focus on the rehab and make sure that you follow through on your rehab. Because, you know, that's going to be the difference between the success of all this or, or not. And she's very adamant about that. So, yeah, I mean, we're wrapping. We're on phase two, right, with Diego? Yep. And so no, we're going to no, do. Yeah, I love that you say that because, um you know, I, I, one of my mentors um, in, in his courses, he was telling us if a patient had to pick one thing that he can only do, like my functional therapy, expansion, braces, just one thing that he would do, he would tell them myofunctional therapy all the way. Because um, like you said, it's not the expanders. I tell my patients that all the time. If I remove those expanders and the muscles are not taught what to do, they're going to relapse. That's just what it is. You know, that knows if it's not working 24 seven, if we're not swallowing properly and tongue up, it, it's going to take, it might take a while, but eventually they relapse. And, I, and I, I tell you every single patient I see, they're like, Oh yeah, I had an expander as a kid. And I look, they're so crowded. Um, but again, every single one I ask, did anyone talk to you about your tongue tie? Nope. No one told me anything until I saw you. Did anyone talk to you about your swallow? Did you, did you watch yourself swallowing? Do you see yourself how you chew? Nope. This is my first time I ever hear anything like that. So it's so, so important. And, and he said it to me one time and it's in, it's stuck in my head. And I tell it to my patients, I don't think you should do anything if you're not going to be invested in it. And I know it's, that therapy, it takes a lot of work from, from the patient. It's a lot of exercise, a lot of commitment, but it really, really does have a lot of benefits. That with what Dr. Wardy's doing, um, the craniosacral system, making sure everything's balanced and working in harmony, you'll see beautiful things. The body's just going to unwind in such an amazing way. It's going to start working like it was created to work. And, and when I see it, I'm like, that makes my day. I go home and I'm excited when I see those those before and afters and I see the patient just blooming. That makes my day. Well, you know, it's funny. It makes complete sense to me why that doc would say that. You know, you say that and I'm like, yeah, that makes complete sense. The tongue is a muscle. Our mouth and our teeth are surrounded by muscles, right? Like everything is a muscle around our mouth. And for our listeners, you know, your soft tissue, your muscles, that's 60% of your force control. The fascia is the other 40. Okay, you have fascia in your mouth connected to your tongue. There's fascia all around your jaw and your teeth. So if those things aren't working, then the structure is not stable. And then it's going to move. It's going to deform. It's going to have problems. So that makes complete sense to me when she says that, that that's, that's the one you would start with. Because unless you fix those things... Everything is going to just have problems, regardless of how much you play with the teeth and or you expand or you do some of these other things. If, the, Like you're saying, if the tongue's not fixed, we don't fix the, the, the muscles of the face, like we're not going to get anywhere. And that's, you know, that's that it's beautiful. You're like you're saying, yes, you do have to put in the work, but that's what's going to give the result. There's no shortcuts, right? Especially for this type of stuff. Absolutely. That's, that's what I tell my patients always. And, you know, because I'm a general dentist, so I see my patients over years, right? And 
they come tell me the story. They're like, you know, I, I got braces when I, I got braces twice when I when I was young for like I was in them for like four or five years. And and look at me now, my teeth are all crowded. And I look and there's severe crowding everywhere. And this patient's in her late 60s, early 70s, or you know, older. And again, I see it and and the problem is when it's when there's mouth bleeding when you're younger, if you don't address that, that leads to could lead to upper airway resistance, that could lead to obstructive sleep apnea. And then it's like you see the smoke when they're young, don't let it turn into a fire. Um, because it's much harder to address when they're older, where if someone had just mentioned it when they were younger, it would have been way easier to address. And and that's something that orthodontists don't see because most of them, once they're done with their patients, that's it. They don't see them again. Or maybe they'll see their, their kids or whatnot. But I mean, looking in their mouth again, but this is an advantage that we have as general dentists that we follow up on these patients and, and we can see. And, and they come and tell me all these stories. And I'm like, wow, why is not everyone doing this? That's just, well, to me, it's crazy. <laughs> Oh, I love that you said screening when they're young, because how many people do you see, like you're saying, 50s and older or even younger than that, that have sleep apnea already? You know, and like, it, it kind of makes you think it's becoming so common. I think I, we had to talk about this last time that like everybody's on a CPAP now at a certain age. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, why is everybody not getting oxygen? Why are we having airway issues? And so that was my next question. How I mean, this may not be easy to answer, but. How many of these people that are on CPAPs, is it probably just an airway issue that needs to be assessed? It's never been assessed, probably, right? And that's why they have that problem. Because I see CPAPs as like a symptom. Like, yes, we do need to give them to some people because they're not getting enough oxygen, but you're not looking for root cause by giving somebody a CPAP. You're just saying, okay, they need more oxygen. Well, that's great, but why? That's the thing. And a lot of things that I see, like from evaluating the scan, you know, a patient comes to me and they're like, yeah, I, my doctor sent me to the sleep doctor. I did a sleep study and they gave me a CPAP, but I used it for a little bit and then it didn't work. I hear that almost every day. It just blows my mind. They don't follow up. They don't maybe look at what else can, can, can this patient qualify for something else other than a CPAP? Because let me tell you something, those people travel and, and, and they go places and some of these CPAPs were recalled. Um, for a while, there was nothing. So what if the power goes out? Does this patient risk his life? Like CPAPs are right now the standard of care, but to me, it just doesn't make sense to rely on something that's, you know, battery or electricity operated. I have patients that told me I'm not going to use it. I am a firefighter. I'm out and about. I can't, there's sometimes you don't have access to electricity and I get it. And, and that's why I believe assessing when they're younger and hopefully preventing them from reaching that point where it's so severe that all you all we can do right now is a CPAP that's what we're trying to kind of avoid now patients that are are in a CPAP a lot of them are being followed up some of them have nasal obstruction they have no clue that they have nasal obstruction and they gave them a nose piece and the patient tells me I can't wear it I take it off at night yeah of course you can't wear it because you can't breathe through your nose Maybe go see an ENT or nose and throat doctor. Let's maybe, if you're not going to do jaw surgery, maybe let's get your nose working. At least that CPAP can work the way it should. Maybe let's add in some myofunctional therapy. Let's teach that tongue. Let's, let's tone it. Let's teach it. It needs to sit up and over the mouth. Maybe start lip taping so that we know your nasal breathing. So we can do things to help the CPAP work for the patient in a better way if surgery is off the table or any other modalities off the table you know for the for those extreme patients where we are worried for their life yes we can do things to help you know improve um their sleep quality but the best thing to do is prevention i believe and prevent getting to that point where the only solution for us right now is a cpap that that's where we want to kind of go that, is there any concerns the... with yeah sorry i was just gonna no, say, no, is you're any... fine. Is there any concerns with decompensation of using um, assisted uh, oxygen, like like a CPAP? In you know, I'm thinking of someone who maybe has a slight uh, astigmatism or something with the glasses, and then or for for their eyesight, and then they go in and their their eyes get trained to see through the lenses, and then they actually lose some of that muscular 
adaptation that they would have got had they not had the glasses as an example like are is there any downside to the the cpap maybe short or long term I other than what you already personally mentioned believe yeah. so i i i know kids that sometimes get a cpap and that i could see how it could hinder growth and development especially if you don't have your tongue up there because most of these cpap masks they cover the nose and the mouth um, and I, I've, I probe a lot. I ask my patients a lot of questions and I'm like, which nose piece did they give you? And one patient told me, they asked me, are you a nose breather or a mouth breather? So the, the technician asked the patient if they're a nose breather or a mouth breather. And, you know, that's, that's kind of how they go about it. And to me, that was like, wow. And, and then they give them that mouth piece that cover the nose piece that covers their mouth. And unfortunately, what that does it, First of all, it dries your mouth because it's blowing air through your mouth. And then your pH of your mouth drops. And if you have a pH 6.8 and below, you're at high risk for cavities and gingival gum inflammation. And then that tongue has to sit down low further because now the air is mostly going through your mouth because there's some nasal obstruction that no one really assessed. So the tongue is going to sit down low and more likely to collapse. And did we do this patient a favor? And then that force of air and that mask strapped on the face, how is that going to affect the bones? Because bones are going to, with pressure, they will move. You know, there's always osteoclastic activity. Just like when I see a patient grinding for years and they have those really big tori's, huge tori's, those bumps of bone um, on the inside of their jaw. So it's from trauma, the body you know, senses the trauma and it starts laying down bone as a, as a form of protection. So the body's going to lay bone or resorb bone based on the forces that are put on it or whatnot. Just, just like when they first found out about distraction osteogenesis, you know, we can, we can start forming bone by, by pulling two bones apart, you know, all those things. So the, the bone's going to change. It's going to affect the way, of course, kids more than adults, but, um, I can see it affecting affecting bones, affecting muscles. It's not how we were created to function. So if we can do anything to get a patient off a CPAP, by all means, that's our goal. But sometimes that's all the patient can do right at this moment. I support them in any way possible. If they tell me this is all I can do, then I'm going to make sure it functions well. I'm going to have them see an ENT. Why is your... Why is your resistance, nasal resistance in your nose. Maybe you can have the turbinates in your nose reduced or a septum deviated, septum fixed. Now you can breathe through your nose. We'll get you um, a, a CPAP nose piece that only goes through the nose. So we don't have to really put a lot of pressure on your maxilla or your or your mouth. And then we're gonna do some therapy to tone your muscles. Then then, then it's, it's not gonna cause negative effect on the body as much as here you go. Here's a CPAP. Here's a mouthpiece. Oh, you breathe through your mouth. Okay, here's a mouthpiece and, you know, move on. And then literally, this is something I did hear from my patient when they told me that. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming not every um, sleep doctor does that or, or their respiratory therapist does that. But I don't think we should ask the patient if they, they're nasal breather or mouth breathers. I think those respiratory therapists should be um, a little bit more uh, trained on the harmful effect of mouth breathing. Um, looking into the nose, maybe just send the patient to the ENT. You know, a lot of ENTs that I that I send patients to, they're they're not really wanting to fix the deviated septum or or I've I've honestly I've had a patient tell me he went to the ENT and 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 I saw on the radiology report that the radiologist put down that they had um deviated septum with a bone spur so they had obstruction on one side. And the ENT asked the patient, can you breathe through your nose? That was his assessment, yeah. huh? Jeez, man. So, I don't know. I feel like maybe because Dr. Soggy is one of my mentors and he's an ENT sleep doctor in Los Angeles. He's on the forefront of um, research in terms of sleep, breathing, and airway. Um, but he understands the importance of getting that nasal resistance reduced. But I, I wish all ENTs would kind of keep an open mind and... It's not just about being able to breathe. If you can breathe through a coffee stir and you can breathe through a straw and you can breathe through a garden hose, which one would you pick? Right. 
<laughs> and get air on all three of them. Right. But yeah, again, if, you know, yeah, that's, you want the best kind of, um, you know, way of, of breathing. So I, I, I think there's so much more to look into, so much more that we all need to kind of collaborate in and, and just keep an open mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, I understand you were trained this way, but there's just so much that we don't know. And once we collaborate together and, you know, listen to each other's experiences, we're only going to help our patient more. Yeah. What about, uh, do you know much about endonasal cranial release? I've heard about it. And I think that's a great thing where they use the balloons, right? Yeah. And maybe David, maybe you can speak on that. I don't know. Because I was just thinking what, like that might yeah. be an interesting tool to use in conjunction. Well, Absolutely. I wouldn't put it in the same realm as craniosacral therapy, but it can be very powerful. So I've had it done, believe it. I've had it done. I didn't probably need it done, but in grad school, I was at a conference and this woman was ballooning people and I was like, that looks so cool. I'm going to have that done. It was very, I had a headache for about two days and my face actually ached for about two days, but afterwards I felt fine. But uh, our good friend of ours, Dr. Hank Williams, does that. Yeah. And he's told me it's magical, man. He's had people that have had horrible, like, trauma to the face or the skull yeah. uh, from motor vehicle accidents. I mean, just different things, right? And like Noah was saying earlier, you know, all of these sutures and the bones in our face float when we breathe. That's actually what helps us pump cerebral spinal fluid through our brain and our spinal cord. And so, like she was telling everybody, you can't compress these bones. They need to be free. So when we have trauma like that and you have a permanent compression, maybe from a really severe trauma, sometimes even cranial sacral can't unwind you. So that's where the ballooning comes in. You can go in through the sinus cavities with those balloons and you can actually adjust the, all these all these sutures from inside the face. Mm-hmm. And so it's an experience, I will tell you that. Um, but I do know people that have had it done that have suffered from like horrible headaches and, and all yeah. kinds of stuff that like nobody's been able to help them. And when they get ballooned, they get ballooned, they go two or three rounds and then they never, they never have a headache again. Yeah. You know, I just it, see like there's an opportunity for so much synergy here when you get into oh, assessment. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, exactly. and, you know, and I've always wanted to learn ballooning, but I honestly don't think we're allowed to do it in Texas. Otherwise I would be, I would be doing it by now. Right. So. But yeah, it, it's, it's phenomenal. Pouring into the same thing of helping the body function the way it was created to right. function. It's not yeah. like they put a new nose or they actually mm-hmm. did surgery yeah, to yeah. fix it. They just made the environment better. And right. I'm all for for that. Now, yeah. now the new, awesome. more um, newer or kind of direction that um, a lot of airway dentists are going in. Um, it's called maxillary skeletal expansion where it's semi-surgical, um, they put like an, a kid's expander in the roof of the mouth, but because adults, especially adult males, it's so much harder to get true skeletal expansion. Um, they put like mini, some implants in the roof of the mouth and kind of aid the suture in opening and the patient turns that expander and what happens is the maxillary bones, they separate. And you do get more nasal volume. So nasal breathing gets better. But just like everything has this, you know, risks and benefits, when you're moving bones like that, the other bones that are connected can get affected, right? So it just has to be done with a really knowledgeable surgeon who understands and respects the connection of the bones to each other, who understands the importance of craniosacral therapy, um how the harmony needs to happen because if you just do it and just crank things open you might notice that one side just drops or a suture just lets go and things could happen it's one of the complications that can happen in these procedures but um for those patients that it's severe but not severe enough for a full jaw surgery that that's that's been um in the works and the breathe institute actually dr kevin coppelson when he does this procedure and I discussed it with him. He does release the pterygomaxillary sutures. So the sphenoid bone isn't pulled in and, you know, twisted. So I believe that is the best way to kind of go about it. You got to release the stresses as you do that. Oh, wow. um, but that's another option. Again, there's a lot of things that patients can do now. The 
the most important thing is to assess and figure out how bad are you, how much can we can do, and and then they make the decision. Doc, we could talk all day, and we're probably going to have to bring you back again. I promise. Okay, so be ready for a third round with us. But it's always yeah. a pleasure. Always a yeah. pleasure. There you have it, everybody. Doctor Noha Oshi. Doc, real quick, tell everybody where to find you. Wonderful. Um, my practice is on the west side of El Paso. We're in New Mexico, in Santa Teresa, New Mexico, but right off of Country Club, Santa Teresa Smiles. Um, you can find us online. Reach out. We would love to see you um, to help with all your oral health needs. And yes, go see her, please. If you haven't learned how important it is to get at least assessed and get your kiddos checked out for sure. Okay. So doc, we love you. Thank you for, for joining you. us again. I just say real quick, I, I, I really appreciate collaborating with you and I love working with you to help our patients. And I see the magic when we collaborate together. I love it. So I want I want to thank you so much for you know collaborating with me. It's, it's always a pleasure. Dr. Jensen, it's so awesome to see you again. Good to see you too. <laughs> Wish you were closer. Right back yeah. at you, Noha. Yeah. Feel the same way. All right, that's a wrap, Amazing. guys. Amazing. Thank you Love so you much. Guys. Thank you so much, Noha. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to The Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.